Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, you're in the right place. This is Business of Design, and I'm your host, Kimberly Selden. I'm a practicing interior design professional, probably just like you, and I'm really glad you're here. Episode 66, where has the time gone? We are going to talk about something that I think is critically important to design professionals, and I bet you're going to agree, and that has to do with confidence or a lack thereof or how to get more of it. We all know, at least intellectually, that a lack of confidence can undermine any and all efforts to be successful. And worse than that, even if we achieve some success, we hit some milestones, we get some recognition. A lack of confidence can still rob us of the joy that should come with those moments. It does that by telling us that, you know, anyone could do that, or yeah, but so-and-so has been in the magazine 10 times. Or sure, this is going well, but what about the Smith Project? We both know what a nightmare that one is. And although most of us recognize we aren't as confident as we'd like to be, or more likely we lack confidence in certain areas, maybe it's around money or managing clients or managing trades, or let's be honest, if you're like me, all three of those things and more. Even though we're aware we would benefit from improving our confidence in those areas, we A, don't have time to do that work, don't you know? I've got installations and sourcing to do and new consultations to attend to. Uh, And B, we sometimes will even go to great lengths to hide that lack of confidence, even from ourselves. So how do we do that? I think we do that by making excuses. This is what I've heard come out of my own mouth or what I hear come out of the mouths of other design professionals, many of whom I respect and admire and do an amazing job. They say things like, you know, I'm just too nice. I know I should tell the client the price went up or the item is delayed or that share she inherited from her grandmother is a no-go. But I just can't say that to a client. Or there's no way I can bill the client for that. She won't like that, right? Or I would do that, but my client's so unreasonable or such a bully or so aggressive. So you know what? I'm just going to eat it. By the way, how many of those little things are you just eating? Are you just absorbing into your bottom line? So often I see designers saying, oh, it was just a few light bulbs. I just I just bought them. Or, you know, it was the freight and the duty and I forgot to bill them. It doesn't matter. It's such a little bit of money. I want you to know that when I got serious about transforming my business, I went back, back and did the math. It was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I gave up through behavior like that. So be aware anytime you say, I'm just going to absorb that cost or I'm just going to eat it. Be aware of that. And at the end of the year, have the courage to look at that list of things. While I'm on that subject, I was with a a good friend who's a designer and uh, she's not a business of design member. And she's very spiritual, and I admire that so much about her. And she was in yet another situation where the client hadn't fully paid her. And she came to me to talk it over. And, 
you know, over the years, she knows I have business of design, but doesn't discuss it. And part of the reason is she's been doing this as long as I have. So shouldn't she already know how to deal with this? Invariably, when someone doesn't pay her, what she does in order to cover that up is to say something like, you know what, I'm just going to let this one go. The universe is so abundant, it will provide me with a new client. And that client will just have to live with the fact she didn't pay me. And while I see the merit of that, not putting your energy into negative things, I also know the universe is wise and the universe wants us to be wise. And there's nothing intelligent about allowing clients not to pay us over and over again. So turning your hands up and letting it go to the universe is lovely, but I think you can do both things. You can protect yourself with smart business practices and you can let go of the outcome. So uh, that's to my dear friend who I will not name, but if she hears this, she will know. Sometimes people will just say, I'm just too busy to deal with the bothersome paperwork. Um, And I think, again, that can stem from a lack of confidence. I don't want to bill the client for duty, shipping, freight, customs, whatever it is, because they might be annoyed. Or one of my favorites, who cares? Money's not important to me. I just want the client to be happy. And you all know at Business of Design, we have a couple of mottos. And one of them is, we all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. So yeah, we want your clients to be happy. We truly do. But you should be happy as well. It's got to be a win-win. This episode, Confidence and How to Get It, is a two-parter. That always means I had way too much fun with the guest and there was too much to cram into one episode. I guarantee you we are not going to solve all your confidence issues by listening to this podcast, (laughs) but we will give you some tools you can use. And then when you're ready to really solve the confidence problem, because I feel that I have, you come on over to Business of Design membership and sign up for the courses that will give you the systems and the procedures you need to allow you to be confident. In episode 66, and then again in 69, we are going to meet Kara Lowenthal. She is actually a wealth of knowledge. She comes from a lawyer and academic background. She is a think tank director. She says it gave her parents quite a pause when she left the ivory tower after graduating from Yale and Harvard uh, to pursue a career as a life coach. She is now a confidence expert and the host of the Unfrick Your Brain podcast. Cara works with smart feminist women whose anxiety and self-doubt are holding them back in their work and relationships. Her clients have spent years of their lives and often thousands of dollars pursuing education, professional opportunities, and life milestones they thought would finally vanquish their insecurity once and for all, only to discover that uh, the job, the relationship, the material object didn't make them feel any better about themselves at all. And that's where Cara comes in. She combines cognitive strategies, coaching tools, and whip-smart humor to teach us how to create the self-confidence we need if we really want to get anything done in life and if we want to be able to enjoy it, which I think we do. Uh, And the other thing is I know Cara focuses on smart women, but you smart men who are listening will appreciate this as well. Maybe most importantly, Cara teaches you how to enjoy and love yourself. 
At the end of this episode and every episode, you're going to find some takeaways. And one of the things you'll take away from Cara is the confidence cheat sheet. Now, I did this really quite simple. It will give you something to think about in terms of conquering your own lack of confidence. Trust me, this episode and the second part coming up in episode 69 is going to arm you and call on you as the warrior designer I know you are. Before you meet Kara, let's hear from the one woman phenom, Cheryl Horn. How you like this sunshine? Oh, it's great. Finally feels like summer. <laughs> I know. At last, at last. What does business of design have going on? Uh, well, I just set the lineup for our webinars for the rest of the year. So the next one's coming up on July 31st. But if you hop over to the website, you can um, look at the dates for the rest of the year and, and save the dates, mark them in your calendar. Uh, so again, the next one won't be until July 31st. It's a Tuesday this time, so make sure you make note of that. Um, I also wanted to mention, because I get so many questions and 90% of the answers refer back to our um, to the Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, I did just want to mention that the introductory course for that is a free course on businessofdesign.com. So if uh, if you found Business of Design uh, mainly through the podcast or you've joined us on Facebook, make sure you hop over to the website and check out that course because I guarantee it'll answer a lot of your questions up front. Um, and hopefully a lot of the things in the podcast and things that we reference on Facebook will also help make a lot more, more sense. So the uh, Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy is a free course, so make sure you check that out. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. the show. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Cara, thank you so much for taking time to do this for us today. It's my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you. Is there a sunshine in Manhattan or what are you dealing with over there? A good question. No, I would say it's sort of like, but it's over 40 degrees. So for, for May now, that's oh, apparently like the new it's normal. It's a win. Yeah, that's a it's, win. Yeah. We'll take it. Yeah, for sure. I'm in LA. So we have, we have beautiful weather today, but I'm mm. heading back to Toronto next week. So we'll be in the same weather as you guys. Um, I was telling uh, Cara before the podcast, she's the first one we kind of picked up on in terms of a complete stranger who I had a girl crush or a fan crush on <laughs> and said, I have to have this woman on the podcast. Um, and uh, it was because of your conversations on your podcast. And you have two different podcasts, right? So can we clear that up right away? Because would tell, tell us the name of both of them. Yeah. So I actually only have one podcast. It used to have a different name. So it was oh. rebranded. That's what happened. When I started my coaching practice, I had been a lawyer and I focused on lawyers. And so it used to be called the Lawyer Stress Solution. But now I work with women, smart feminist women of all professions. And my podcast is called Unfuck Your Brain. 
Okay. So I was wondering, so you got more confident and you changed the name to what it really should have been called in the first <laughs> exactly. place. Exactly. Okay. So, so I heard the exactly. lawyer stress solution and I was just like, I had this overwhelming feeling of, I wanted to lay down on the sofa and just let you talk to me and talk me off the ledge. Like it was such a good conversation. The first one I heard, and then I listened to a bunch. So confidence, I think is, uh, could I say that it's almost the biggest challenge interior design professionals have when we don't charge enough, when we don't stand up to our clients, when we don't take control of projects, it almost always boils down to the fact that we lack confidence, although we call it different stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't you find like women will say like, well, I'm just really nice or Mm -hmm. we make up all kinds of excuses. But the truth is for me and because I've been so honest about sharing about my vulnerabilities, for me, it's all stems from a lack of confidence. What if what if they don't like what I say? What Mm -hmm. if I don't get the job? So so is that a female problem? Is a lack of confidence a female problem? Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. Often people will say to me like, oh, I didn't think I lacked confidence, but then I listened to the podcast and now I realize that I do, right? They, it, it manifests both as like, I'm too nice or I want to get along, but also sometimes it manifests as like, well, my clients are just really difficult, right? right? We often, it's like, really, no, the client is just the client, right? You aren't confident in yourself. So the minute your client disagrees with you or has even a question about something, you start to freak out right? Because you don't have that confidence. So it masquerades as a lot of things, I think. Right. Um, and it's yeah, shocking it's, how the clients actually turn out to be really nice people once we get our own confidence under control oh and have God. more systems and right? more systems and yeah. procedures. Suddenly like, hey, wait a minute, I look up and I have nothing but amazing, cool clients mm-hmm. at the moment where 15 years ago I had nothing but clients who were ridiculous and they right. wanted everything <laughs> for nothing. And I was the first one at the bar like pounding my fist saying, if you had oh. my clients, you'd drink too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in fact, I have a I have a design a client who's I have a couple of clients who are designers, and one of them I was coaching a lot on her relationship with her main her main client right now, and she was so in her story about how this woman hated her and like always thought she did everything wrong, right? And like, and then we did a lot of work on it. And the next time she met with her, she came back and she was like, "You'll never guess, she totally likes me. She's been recommending me to other people." <laughs> like, our perception can be so warped. And you said it, making up a story. So okay, uh, you're gonna have to help me then with my improv teacher because I'm convinced he just hates me like I'm just (laughs) oh damn see how it creeps into Uh all areas of your life but where it becomes painful for me is where there's a money exchange because the minute my confidence is undermined particularly around money or timing or knowledge of things that are outside of my area of expertise like electrical or plumbing or all these other things um, it's so easy to get off my footing Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that women entrepreneurs in general. So as an entrepreneur, I try to hire other women entrepreneurs and I constantly want to be like, listen, I'm going to pay you your full fee, but also I'm going to coach you for free because this, like everything you're doing is just makes me want to cry. All every female entrepreneur I hire is like, oh, they haven't invoiced me for weeks. Or then they tell me how much it's going to cost. But then I work with an amazing photographer who I love, but like as soon as we talk about a shoot, she's like, and if you need to go four hours over, that's fine. Or even if you need to go into the next day. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. <laughs> like, right. How much time am I paying for? Like, don't let me do that. Right. Yeah. And I see that with every female entrepreneur that I hire. I feel like I have to be like, 
invoice me. I need to pay you. I owe you money, right? Like we women are socialized to be so, I mean, lots of people, but especially women to be really uncomfortable with money. And especially when we're in these like creative or giving professions, we are, if we don't feel confident about the value of our work, we're uncomfortable right? Asking for the amount of money. And I don't like to say that we deserve because that makes it like a moral question. Right. It's not about deserving. It's just like, what is the price of your thing? What is the value to this other person? If they've agreed to pay it, that's all you need to know. Right. So like one of the things I do a lot with people, with women entrepreneurs and designers is taking this like deserving worth morality question out of it. Right. The question is like, what kind of value do you provide to a customer? what is that value worth to them? It's not about like you and what you deserve and what you feel morally worthy of. Right. Okay. So then, but, but there's a problem already. Like Mm. if you don't have confidence, you can't put a legitimate number to the value you provide. And what I Mm -hmm. see over and over again with a lot of interior design professionals and other professionals, particularly women is because they're good at it, because it comes naturally to them, because it's easy for them, Mm -hmm. they undervalue what they provide. So this is why I think it's a super important to switch. The question shouldn't be, what's the value of what I provide? The question is, what's the value of the result for my client that they get? What's Those the, are actually two very different questions. Okay, so what's the value of the result I'm going to supply right. for the client? Okay. Right. So, because like, okay. I do this with coaches all the time too, right? It's like, it starts to seem like you said, like, well, everybody knows this stuff, right? Like, it's not that big a deal, this thing that I'm teaching or like anybody can design their place. I think that women often think like, what's the value I'm providing? What am I giving? Right. How do I evaluate that? But really the question is what's the value of the result to the person, right? How much is it worth it to someone to have a beautifully decorated house that they live in every day that makes them happy to be in it? What is it worth it to a person to get coaching on their thought patterns, right? It's not like the value of what I provide. It's the value of the result your client gets. Right. And I would say that, Yes, they're getting a beautifully designed house that they have to live in, but also what they're getting is a whole bunch of free time that they wouldn't otherwise have because mm-hmm. I'm the poor schlub who's going to be running around town selecting and sourcing and picking totally. up and organizing and moving and shipping and tracking and delivering and verifying and fixing deficiencies. So when you uh-huh. add up all those things, the value of that result that I could just write a check and have my house done is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. Okay, so talk. Okay, start at the beginning for us. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, compare and contrast, what's the difference between a professional who's competent and a professional who isn't competent? At the very beginning, the first phone call, what's a telltale sign that the professional you're working with is missing some confidence skills? Oh, um... Well, what's funny is like (laughs) all of us are projecting just our own insecurities. So I don't even think we're like always objective observers, but, um, I think anybody who gives their price as like a question, (laughs) (laughs) totally know what you mean. 10,000, like no period. It's not a question, (laughs) right? right? Or, um, anyone who, I think, you know, my experience as a coach certainly is like people want to be told what to do. I've hired designers and like, I want them to tell me what to do. The whole reason I'm giving you money is that I don't think I'm good at this and I want you to solve it for me, right? But lack of confidence shows up as not feeling, not being decisive. Not Now, obviously you have to collaborate with your client. Like they want to, you know, they have input. 
but when somebody is sort of like, well, this or this or this, I don't know what you think. What do you think? Right. That's that lack of confidence as opposed to just being like looking at your space, looking at your aesthetic, whatever it is, like, this is my recommendation. Here's another option. If you really want to do something else, what do you want to do? So is part of it just as simple as managing your language, managing your body language, but also your verbiage so that you don't end sentences with a question mark or, but you, or you just, like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Clients will say, well, do you think we should do this or this? And I will say, I absolutely think we should do this. Mm-hmm. And I will not hesitate. And I'll look them right in the eyes. And the truth is between you and me. Sometimes I'm like, I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Of course. But Sometimes I, you're like, it doesn't really matter. It but won't they won't matter answer. if it's this beige yeah. or that beige. So, but right, this is but the absolutely answer. the one I think you should do. But that is so. Is it? Does it start with I your language? I think it's language? your thoughts. Your, oh, so okay. I really like what makes my work different. I think from what you, a lot of the confidence kind of work out there is. I do not believe in fake it till you make it. I don't believe in power poses. Like those have been mostly debunked. <clears throat> You have to start with your thoughts. All the work I do with everyone starts with their thoughts. You have to change your thoughts that you actually believe thoughts that are more confident and then you feel confident. I don't think that you can fake confidence when people fake confidence. I mean, to a certain extent, we're all just animals and we can like smell the difference. You know, we, we respond to other people's energy, not really in a woo woo way, even just in a, like, you can tell when someone really feels confident or not. And that all comes from your thoughts. So one of the big things that I work with people on, and like if your listeners take one thing away from this episode, it would be a lot of people try to change their thoughts by practicing positive affirmations. Like, I am successful. I am confident. I am an amazing designer. If you don't believe that shit, it doesn't help. It actually makes you feel worse. It does not change your confidence at all. What you have to do is practice what I call a neutral or a baby step or a ladder thought, whichever term makes sense to you, which is a little baby step away from what you believe now. You're not going all the way. So if right now you think you're a terrible designer and you wish you believed you were an amazing designer, you don't try to think I'm an amazing designer. It's not going to do anything. You practice thinking something like, I've created some nice designs. I've had clients who are happy with my work. These are like factual, more factual, more neutral statements that you can already believe mm-hmm. that will already help you feel a little more confident. But I don't think you can fake it. It has to come from your thoughts. You know, it's, it, that reminds me of when uh, my kids were little, Cooper in particular, my little guy, I was always trying to boost his self-esteem by complimenting him. And he could smell the BS. Like he just mm-hmm. knew that he did not deserve a compliment for the stupid thing <laughs> I just complimented him on. Mm-hmm. And I could see that it was actually doing the reverse of what I wanted. It was actually mm-hmm. hurting his self-esteem. So I began to do, and I didn't know what to call it, but I would actually compliment him on real things, but in a... Mm-hmm less like, oh my God, you're the best artist in the whole world. It would be like, you know, good for you for completing that page in the coloring book, you know, whatever it was. And I could see an immediate response from him that he, Mm -hmm. he believed that he had earned that compliment Mm -hmm. and therefore it had value where when I threw, when I tried to blow smoke up his ass, he's like, you know, I'm I'm having none of this mom. And I never thought about maybe that could apply to myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're all just our own little toddlers or five-year-olds or however old he was. When am I going to be older? I'm like still working on growing up. Okay. So that's really cool. So, so start where you are, but then take baby steps or ladder steps to improve Mm -hmm. how you're talking about yourself and how you feel about yourself. 
Okay. So that's- the most important thing is to like check in and see if you feel any better. People stay up in their heads and they like practice a positive affirmation. They never come down into their body to see if it's actually making a difference. If you feel anxious when you think I'm a terrible designer, this client is going to hate me. And then you come up with a thought to practice thinking like I've had clients before who liked my work. Then you got to check in. Do you feel any less anxious in your body? If so, that's a good thought. Keep practicing it. Right. You have to check back in with yourself. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, so that's, so that's one thing. Take these baby steps with your thoughts and check in then on your thoughts. What would you say is another thing we can do to kind of assist our thoughts along a path that puts us in a stronger position with clients? Yeah. I mean, I really recommend like doing some thought work, which is what I call it, um, before you go in. So another thing people do is they'll like, they listen to my podcast, they sort of get the idea and then they wait to only try to practice it when they're already freaking out. At which point, right? Like it's not, that's not how it works. It's not like an EpiPen, right? (laughs) I mean, it is a little bit, if you've been practicing, then the EpiPen works. Like, but if you have not, you can't just try it once when you're already in a panic attack, right? Really people, you know, the psychological studies show that people, um, overestimate what they can get done in a year, but underestimate what they can get done in like a week. So, we are not good at judging kind of, we think that we need giant action or big dramatic kind of steps. And we really underestimate the value of tiny, small, consistent steps each day. There's a book called The Slight Edge, which I really recommend any entrepreneur read. Just read the first half. It's like very long. It was self-published and he could use an editor. But (laughs) (laughs) it's all about the idea that the difference between people who succeed and fail in business is not actually like their, their brilliance or their entrepreneurial, you know, skills or like their massive genius ideas. It's actually that people who succeed are the ones who can take small, consistent steps to take action towards their goal and keep doing it. Even once they start succeeding, they keep doing that work. So both in your business and in your mindset, a little bit of action every day, you'll be astounded how far you get with a little bit of action every day. So one of the things that stops us then sounds like instant gratification. If, I, if I'm not instantly gratified by this massive change in my personality, then I'm going to give up and quit. And what you're saying is don't quit before mm-hmm. the miracle happens. You kind of mm-hmm. have to practice it like you'd practice the violin. And if you practice the violin every single day for five years, then when somebody's in your face saying, hey, play the violin right now, you'll be able to do it. You're like, sure. I can do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, think about how long it took you to learn to think the way you think now. The good news is you don't have to practice that long to change it. But yeah, you wouldn't be like, oh, I can play these Chopin preludes after my one time practicing last week. Right. Right. It's a totally unrealistic expectation. Okay, now take us a little step further. Now, who you're speaking to, a bunch of design professionals, some of them are solopreneurs, have never worked for a design firm. Maybe they work from home. Maybe they've got a home office. And there's a lot of judgment, self-judgment about that. Well, I'm not as good as so-and-so because she has an office and she has a staff. And therefore, and she's been published and and she's been on TV. So therefore, I am not that good. How, what, what would you say to that person to get them to stop sitting in that muck? Yeah, there's a couple of different approaches to that. One would just be like, yeah, okay, well, I think I'm a good life coach, but you know, Oprah has more followers than I do. Like, so what, <laughs> right? You can always look for evidence that someone else is farther along than you are. But with a client, I would probably say, give me five pieces of evidence that you are actually a great designer, right? Um, another thing that I 
another thing I like to play with is called, if you spot it, you got it. So it's like, it works both for negative and positive emotions. So it's based on the concept, the psychological concept of projection, which is most people have heard projection in the negative sense. If you see someone you're like, oh, how dare they be X way? It's usually because like you have a little bit of that. That's why you're responding so strongly. But it works in the positive too. Like if you think about it, you only kind of value things that you already have some inclination towards. Like I don't ever look at astronauts and be like, God, why can't I be an astronaut? Because I just like don't give a shit, right? I don't care. I mean, it's cool, but I never wanted to be an astronaut, right? I never feel bad that I'm not amazing at physics. Because I don't care about physics. I don't have any natural inclination for it. And it just doesn't come up for me, right? So wherever I see there being like envy or jealousy or comparison, it's actually an invitation to see, well, how do I have a little bit of this thing that I think this other person has? Where can I see that positive attribute like in myself. Hmm. Uh, so, okay. So a lot of the people listening are members of associations or they have groups. There are business of design groups where they get together once a month. And is there something you can do as a group to develop the skill of confidence and mirror that back and forth in each other? You know, you can, yes. I mean, you can, there are like group exercises where you go around and it's like one person's turn and everybody else tells them something positive they see in them. That being said, the whole point is like, you have to believe it. So most people have gotten compliments from lots of people over the course of their lives, but confirmation bias, right. Is the psychological phenomenon by which we only literally only see our brain just like weeds out evidence that contradicts our beliefs. Mm -hmm. So if you think that you're ugly, it doesn't really matter how many people tell you you're pretty. Mm -hmm. People have already told you you're pretty. You got to change your thoughts. So yeah, I think some of that group kind of exercise can be helpful, but you sort of almost need to be at least a little way along the path of doing this work for it to kind of help because Mm -hmm. otherwise your brain just discounts it, right? We've all gotten a compliment and then been like, oh, well, they don't know that that came easy to me or that that client really wasn't that big or that that design was inspired by this other person or, you know, we just discount the compliments. That's right. Um, Okay. Interesting. So, uh, okay. Then where does role playing fit in? For me, one thing that has helped give me tremendous confidence is to actually going, you know, back some years now, but I actually rehearsed with a coach Mm -hmm. questions that I got from clients that made me uncomfortable. How much does this cost? When is this going to be done? Can Mm -hmm. I have this sooner? Can we do this for less? All those questions I would role play and rehearse them over and over and over again until I felt I had the words and then the, and then I could hide, almost hide behind the words. And then as I delivered the words and I saw that they landed well with clients, my confidence grew because I Mm. suddenly knew what to say. So have you had experience with role playing then in terms of building confidence? Yeah, I think practicing is never a bad idea. Um, I think the, Part of what happens sometimes when we we think that, oh, well, I did it a few times and I saw it was okay and then I felt okay, is that, you know, what's really happening is like, your you somebody responded fine, so then you had the thought, oh, this is okay, and you kept going. That's a fine approach as long as reality lines up with what you want to believe, right? But the reason that I recommend working on your thoughts and not like be, a lot of people just want to be like, oh, well, I'll believe it's okay once I get the evidence. Right. Right. But the problem is like sometimes reality cooperates, sometimes it doesn't. So it's possible that you can say the price, like sometimes when I have, you know, over the course of my career, I've raised my prices or changed my formats. And sometimes when I do it, the first three people say yes, great. But sometimes five people say no before I get a yes. 
right? So if I haven't committed to it and decided and done the thought work ahead of time to believe that like, this is a good price and I'm sticking by it and I'm going to keep going, then it's very easy to be like, well, three people said no in a row. So I guess this isn't an okay price, Mm -hmm. right? So I think practicing can help with like just comfort of literally get spitting out the words, (laughs) getting them out of your mouth for sure. But you have to also... There's no circumstance in which I think you don't need to do the internal thought work. Right. Because otherwise it's just you're leaving it too much up to chance. It's like sometimes it works great. Other people do act the way you want and you get to feel the way you want. And that's Mm -hmm. great. The problem with relying on that is sometimes it doesn't happen. And then what? Then you have no tools. Right. Okay. So it's going back to, again, it's got to be from the inside out. It's an inside job. You've got to work on your thoughts Mm -hmm. and then the rest follows. So in addition to then those, the baby steps and the ladder, what are the other things we're going to do then to mold our thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different tools for different contexts, but for confidence, for instance, I have a like confidence cheat sheet download I offer. Um, and the, what are the three tools I teach in there? One is, um, coming up with a list of things you like about yourself. I call it a like list instead of a love list. Most people will be like things you love about yourself, but we're going neutral, right? So things you can at least like about yourself. Okay. Um, and I really encourage people to use qualifying terms. It helps to be like, sometimes I'm a good friend, right? Or like I have done a good job. So you make a list of things you like about yourself. You read it over and over. I also, people make accomplishment lists. It's like a list of things they've accomplished and you're not allowed to write any disclaimers on there. Even though people want to, you're only allowed to write the facts. Right. right? So I've done this thing, but it's not really that big of a deal because you're not allowed to do any of that. You got to write it down. Like got $20 million decorating job. You're not allowed to put a comma because my dad knew the owner of the hotel. Like you're not allowed to do that. Right. You just have to write down the actual facts. A lot of what I do is really showing people that like these facts exist and then you can choose how you want to think about them. Right. So like lists and accomplishment lists are great. Read them over every day. And you will start to, basically what you're trying to do is get your brain to look for more positive evidence. Um, Something else I've been playing with lately that my clients have been liking is, um, I kind of hate the word, it's a dumb word, but I got it from somebody else who uses this word, which is affirmations as opposed to affirmations. What that really means is you ask it as a question so that your brain has to come up with the answer. So instead of saying like, I'm great at sales, you, at, you make it a question, like, why am I great at sales? How am I great at sales? So instead of being like, I'm an amazing designer, you could ask yourself as a question, how am I an amazing designer? Right. Why am I an amazing designer? Your brain wants to answer questions. It's just how human brains are built. The problem is usually the questions you're asking yourself are like, why am I so shitty? Why am I so terrible? Why did I do such a bad job? Why does everyone hate me? Why is my career not progressing? Right? Just like total dead-end questions. So noticing what questions you always ask yourself, like, why doesn't, why am I going to die alone? <laughs> Changing those is also really effective. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So one of the, one of the big places we really need confidence has to do with money because okay. our job involves asking for money. There's no way around it. What do you think, or what tips would you share with everybody listening about sales and the confidence okay. around closing the deal? Yeah. So, um, number one, you don't have to close all your sales to have an amazing business, right? I feel like people get very caught up on like, well, one person said no, two people said no, or I'm only closing this number. 
I close like 30% of my consultation calls. It's not massively high for my industry actually, but I charge a lot and I deliver a lot. And so I still have a very thriving business. So these things sort of go in tandem. I think what happens is that when we don't feel confident, we want to close as many sales as possible. So then we keep our prices too low. So everybody will say, yes, we won't ever have to experience rejection. And then we handicap ourselves because we're limiting our earning potential and we're taking on too much work. So we don't have time to devote to higher and bigger projects. And then we go to parties and we say, oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm so so busy. Yeah. I'm always like, and how how much are you making? And it's like 50 grand. Yeah. Show me your profit and loss statement and we'll talk. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that's, that's amazing. That's number one. Like the whole, like, I don't want to feel, this is why it's thought work. You know, I don't want to feel rejected. Like what are you doing to avoid feeling rejected? Like one of the questions I make my clients answer is tell me how much money you're leaving on the table and why. Right. So if you are, so, and this is, you know, like I had had a lawyer who was a um, partner at a law firm and she uh, I mean, I had a client who was a partner at a law firm. She's not my lawyer. She's my client. <laughs> she was a lawyer, partner at the law firm. And she um, didn't challenge her bonus. Like they had a system where, you know, the other partners decide the bonus, but then you can appeal it and be like, no, it should be that, right? Because she didn't want to feel embarrassed. She didn't want to feel rejected. She didn't want to have the feeling she would feel she, because she wasn't managing her mind, right? So she was letting them determine how she was going to feel. And then she didn't want to have those feelings. Right. You know, she left thousands and thousands of dollars on the table without even asking because she didn't want to have to feel rejected. Right. So learning to manage your thoughts so that rejection isn't scary, you don't take it personally, is the number one thing in sales. Wow. Okay. So I once had an editor. I I was the decorating editor of Style at Home magazine for years and years. And my editor at the magazine once said to me, "Um, do you know that no female writer ever asks for a raise? But the male writers ask for raises all the time. And I said, really? That's, that's crazy. I, I didn't know that. And then there's a big, long pause. And she's like, I'm telling you to ask for a raise. You I were like, thanks for that interesting piece of information that I should not take any action on. It flew right over my head. I thought that was fascinating and uh-huh. never occurred to me. And she had to literally say to me, "Ask for, are you an idiot? Ask for a raise. And yeah. I guess it's because I don't want to rock the boat. I'm so grateful. I don't want them to think I'm greedy. Yeah, right. women are just socialized. I mean, the studies also show that women will not apply for a job unless they're certain they meet 100% of the qualifications. Right. And men will apply to a job if they meet 50% of the qualifications. Yes. And that includes being your husband, girl. So be ready. <laughs> My, my husband, we can have a whole other dating show, obviously. Husband, he meets a hundred percent, a hundred percent, but yeah. But like, sure. this is a real thing, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about like sexism and patriarchy and how it impacts women's career, part of it is yes, the people making the decisions, but then, and we can't control that part as much, mm-hmm. but we are not controlling the whole part we can control, right? Right. We are holding ourselves back also. So it's not, of course we have to change these big political issues, structures as well. But right now, tomorrow, what can you do? You can apply for a job where you only meet 50% of the qualifications, right? right? You see, if you hear about a client who you think is too big for you to pitch, you can pitch them anyway. What's yeah. the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to have a feeling, which is just a sensation in your body, and it is not going to kill you. Right. And you're going to learn right. more than you've ever learned when you step outside yes. of your comfort zone, for sure. So we are going to end the first part right here. I told you you'd like Kara. And I'm going to end it with this thought and some homework for you this week. What are you doing 
to not feel rejected. Hmm. Okay. I've got hundreds of personal examples. I could, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll share one. Uh, this happened when I was about 30 years old and I was gorgeous in that way that 30 year olds are gorgeous. If you know what I mean, if you're in your fifties and you're looking back at those 30 year old pictures, you're like, wow, I had it all right. Um, a television producer approached me to come in and talk to them about doing something on air. And I would have to meet the boss. I would have to meet the team. And I said, no, I made it up up an excuse. Um, the real reason I said, no, I thought I was too fat. Let me tell you, I wish I was that fat today. I was too afraid to meet the boss and have that person reject me. So I avoided that meeting. And that's really too bad. I don't know what might have come of that meeting. I'm happy the way my life worked out. Still, hmm, that wasn't smart, was it? At work... Uh, That might be something like you are not asking your friends and neighbors to hire you because they might say no, or you're not approaching local home shows and offering your services on stage because they might say no. Whatever it is, let's take a look at that this week. Share it with someone you trust and take some action. And of course, always, always, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the Facebook community. If you are a member, a paid member of Business of Design as well, and you have a question and need mentoring, you can do that through the forum following every course. Bottom line, we're here to help you any way we can. We love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.